And welcome, friends. It's wonderful once again to uh, just invite you into this time of worship. We're so glad that we can gather together, even in a time of, uh, yes, uh, social distancing, yet we are spiritually uniting in the Lord. And what a privilege it is to be able to do this. We welcome you all, welcome our church family, and also we welcome a number of guests that are with us. It's been a special blessing this unique season to have people be able to join us uh, in worship this way, uh, not just around the region, around the country, but even around the world. Uh, we've heard of people and know of people that are joining in worship, and we're so, so, so blessed that we can have this time together. Uh, this is six weeks now that we've been gathering in this way, and perhaps uh, it feels to you like 40 days of wandering in the wilderness, uh, and it has been challenging, uh, but we're not in the wilderness. We are continuing to worship our Lord in spirit and truth together, and we're so, so grateful that we can have this way. You know, worship is not determined by the position of your body or the place of your body. Worship's not determined by the position of your body. Worship is determined by the disposition of your heart. When your heart is turned to the Lord, wherever your body is, you at that moment are in worship. And so I pray that again in this way, the Lord will turn all of our hearts this moment. Our disposition toward him. Because when we engage all we are with him for all he is, that is worship in spirit and in truth. I want to invite you to that today as we continue in worship by opening the word of God. And you've heard our elder Kenny uh, read the passage from 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I'm going to ask you to turn to that passage, but actually turn back just a few further chapters to chapter 27. We'll begin there, and then we will make our way toward the text that was read. Currently, I'm sure you are reading that around the country, uh, there are numbers of people, numbers of people that are working on a vaccine for the COVID-19 virus. And all of us need to be much in prayer for these people who are uh, serving so diligently our fellow man by seeking a vaccine for this dreadful virus. And I understand that much of the studies involved in seeking this vaccine has to do with two groups has to do with a study, first of all, of groups of people uh, who have been exposed to the virus, but they've not contracted the illness. And so they're being carefully evaluated in why they've been able to not come down with terrible symptoms of the virus. There's another group also, I understand, that's being carefully studied, that is people who have been infected and who have developed 
symptoms, but they have made very, very quick and strong recovery. So they're being evaluated as well in order to understand more about the virus so that a vaccine can be developed. They're individual case studies. What I'd like us to do today is to also engage through the Word of God in an individual case study. It is an individual case study of our theme, Corona Victus, overcoming the virus of fear. And this morning, I want us to see in the life of one of God's servants how by the grace of the Lord, he was able to gain victory over a terrible virus in his life. And he was able by God's grace to be victorious over the virus of fear. Now, I want us to consider today this servant of God, David. David is infected with the virus of fear, but he is also wonderfully delivered by God, amazingly delivered by God. And so we have a case study here in 1 Samuel of a time in the life of one of God's great servants, a man after his own heart, who was infected with the virus of fear. His life was devastated, but he was delivered by the grace of God. Now, truly, you're going to see here that David was devastated by this terrible virus of fear. And I want us to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 27 and go back and see how this virus first infected the life of this servant of the Lord. Now, every one of us is susceptible to fear. No one is immune from fear. But there's the right kind of fear and there is the wrong kind of fear. Sometimes people are more vulnerable to the virus of fear when they are experiencing a time of fatigue. Physical fatigue, emotional fatigue, makes them very susceptible to the virus of fear. And that is certainly the case with David. David is exhausted. He is exhausted physically from relentlessly having to flee from place to place as he's having to hide from Saul, who is after his life. He is so tired physically and he is emotionally drained. And being physically depleted, emotionally depleted, he becomes a prime candidate for fear. This, this week, I read the quote by the great general of World War II, George Patton. And he said once, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue 
makes cowards of us all. Now notice the virus of fear, though. It doesn't begin in a person's feet. This fear doesn't first show itself in someone running away. That's not where the virus is first displayed. No, the virus of fear is first displayed in a person's brain, in a person's brain. And we see this symptom in the life of David. We see it in how he is thinking. I want you to look at chapter 27, verse 1, and notice the progression of these symptoms in the life of David. It begins with his thinking. The virus of fear is causing him to think in the dark. He's thinking in the dark. We're given insight to this in verse 1 of chapter 27. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 27, 1, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. Now notice this verse says, it says, David said in his heart. What that means is David is talking to himself. And someone has well said that when you talk to yourself, often you're having a foolish conversation. He's talking to himself. Do you see what he's doing? He's discouraging himself. He is thinking himself into discouragement as he has come up with a plan. <clears throat> he is trying to figure things out on his own. He is trying to take matters into his own hands. In his fear, he's not thinking right. And he comes up with his own idea. He tries to take matters into his own heart. But the real issue here is he has been robbed of faith in his thinking. His thinking is robbing him of his faith. You see, the virus of faith caused David to forget the promises of God. That's what fear does so often in the life of a believer. Fear causes us to forget. It causes us to forget the promises of God. What were the promises of God about David? Well, first of all, he was chosen. God sought David and found David. He is chosen by the Lord. And he has been anointed to be the next king of Israel. And person after person has promised him, David, you're going to be king someday. Samuel has told him he's going to be king, the great prophet. Jonathan, his best friend, the son of Saul, has told him, you're going to be the king someday. His wife, Abigail, 
has told him, I know you're going to be the king someday. Even Saul, that he is fleeing from, has told him, David, you are going to be the king someday. But the virus of fear has weakened David's faith. Not only did it weaken his faith, that led him to weaken his standards. His wrong thinking began to infect the standards of his life. It led to personal compromise. Notice this. His thinking in the dark led to him walking in the dark. Walking in the dark. Look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 27. Verse 2. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, who is the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath. He and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. Now, talk about a detour. Look at the road signs here. The road sign on this journey that David is taking say, Welcome to Gath. Welcome to Gath. Have you ever heard of Gath before? Gath is one of the chief cities of the Philistines. It's also the hometown of a man by the name of Goliath. He is Goliath of Gath. Remember him? He is the very enemy of God that David, by the grace of God, overcame in battle. And now here is David in his fear, thinking so wrongly. And being so impacted that he walks into the land of the Philistines. He's living with the Philistines, the enemies of God. The virus of fear has compromised David's entire system. The virus of fear has compromised his entire system in, of his life. The fear has caused him these compromises. Notice, it's caused David to compromise his convictions. He is still God's man inwardly. In his heart, he still loves God. He's God's man inwardly. But outwardly, he has conformed his life to those of the enemies of God. It's easier to live like them. It's easier and it's safer to be like them. He's compromised his convictions because of the virus of fear. And then not only has he compromised his convictions, he has compromised his influence. You see, his compromise does not just impact himself. No, it never does. His compromise involves other people. His compromise involves his family. He's taken his family into the land of the enemies of God. 
It involves his friends and their families that he has led into the land of the enemies of God. The virus of fear is a terrible thing. It caused David to compromise his convictions, compromise his influence, and notice what it did to his soul. It compromised his fellowship. It compromised his fellowship. Look at an amazing verse with me in chapter 27, 1 Samuel 27, verse 7. Notice this. And the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. A year and four months. 16 months of Philistine living. 16 months. What do we know about these 16 months? I'll tell you something very interesting if you study David's life. You will find he never wrote a single song during this 16-month period. How could he? How could he write the songs of Zion? How could he sing the songs of Zion when he was living among the enemies of God, compromising his life, compromising others? How could he have joy in his heart? Impossible. 16 months. This greatest songwriter in history wrote no songs. He had compromised his convictions. He had compromised his influence. He had compromised his fellowship. And most of all, and maybe worst of all, he had compromised his testimony. He compromised his testimony. You can turn to chapter 29. Verses 1 through 5. We'll not read this, but it's hard to imagine of, of the impact that's taking place on David's life. He now, notice, a few months later, is not just living among the Philistines. We're told in this passage that he has become a captain of the Philistines. He, he's not just gone into the land of the Philistines. He has become a captain, a leader among the Philistines. But notice something, my friend. David has earned a rank among these people. He has earned a rank in the Philistine world, but he has not earned their respect. He's earned a rank, but he's not earned their respect. What did the Philistines say about David when it came time for battle? They said, what is he doing here? Of all people, what is he doing here? Even the Philistines knew that he shouldn't be there. And you can imagine what his men and family are saying. They're probably echoing, yes, what are we doing here? We don't belong here. Oh, he gained a rank. But he was neither respected by his enemies or respected by his friends. That's the way it always works. That's the result of compromise. 
When we compromise our convictions, we're not respected by our enemies and we're not respected by our friends. The Philistines turned David back. They said, no, he can't go. They turned him back. But that was part of God's plan. See, God is able and has sovereignty even to use his worst enemies to carry out his plan on behalf of his people. And here, these enemies of God, the Philistines, they carried out God's plan by turning David back. Uh, they, they bring David face to face with the virus of his compromise. He's not where he needs to be and his enemies send him back. David's virus of fear started with him thinking in the dark. It led to him walking in the dark. But now notice the terrible moment of his life when David is sitting in the dark. He's sitting in the dark. Now look at the text that we read earlier. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 4. We see David in the terrible moment of his life at the awful final destination of his compromise. This is where the virus of fear has led him. Here he returns to Ziklag, the hometown where he's been living with his men and with his family and their families. And while he's been gone, there's been a raid of the Amalekites. He's lost everything. David has lost his home. He's lost his possessions. He's lost his family. He's lost his friends. And he sits in the smoking ruin and rubble of his life. He has reached his lowest point. The virus of fear that infected his mind, his thinking, has now devastated his life completely. But, thank God, the virus of fear has not hindered the great physician in his treatment plan for David's recovery. You see, my friend, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Who he has called to himself, those that he has brought to himself, he will sanctify them. And he has called David and David has devastated his life by the infection of the virus of fear. But the great physician has a treatment plan for David's recovery. In fact, it was God himself who ordained, he ordained the consequences of David's poor choices. He did not cause David to sin. God is not the author of sin. But God ordained the consequences of David's poor choices so God would accomplish his good purposes. Recently, 
a friend of mine who's in the ministry, recommended I listen to a message by a wonderful pastor, Dr. Tony Evans, who pastors Oak Cliff Bible Church in Dallas, Texas. It is a message that he encouraged me to listen to that is called Divine Disruptions. Divine Disruptions. And Dr. Evans brought this message on March 22nd. And here's one statement as I listened to that that gripped my heart. Here's what Dr. Evans said, quote, God will let things get as chaotic as they need to be until he gets our undivided attention. Let me read that again. Dr. Evans said, God will let things get as chaotic as they need to be until he gets our undivided attention. You see, God will get our intention so that he can correct our vision. God gets our attention with the chaos that sometimes we bring into our life so that he can correct our vision. In the very first message in this series, I made this statement. It's important for us to remember it. God in his providence allows us to experience trials so that we learn to view the invisible and value the invaluable. God wants us to have clear vision. He wants us to see what is real and see what matters. God wants us to view what is invisible, but it's real, so that we can value what is invaluable. And God at times lets trials come into our life so that he can get our attention and correct our vision. Now David has reached his lowest point, but he has also reached his turning point. He's reached his lowest point, but he's reached his turning point. He is like the prodigal son of the Old Testament. By God's grace, even though he has devastated his life, even though David has devastated his life, sitting there in the wreck and ruin and the smoldering ashes of Ziklag, he comes to himself. He regains his senses. Things become clear to him. And he remembers. He's forgotten. He's forgotten for 16 long months. But now he remembers. He remembers who he is. He remembers whose he is. And he remembers what he has. He has that which cannot be taken away from him. And in that dark moment, David, by God's grace, experienced an amazing recovery. Now, what radically new treatment was used to recover David from the virus of fear? What radically new treatment? Well, no, 
not radically new, actually an ancient remedy for the virus of fear. And it has timeless effectiveness. My friends, I want you to know that what worked for David with his own virus of fear 3,000 years ago is the timeless, timeless work of the Lord that is effective to this very day for all of us who are in the dark places of fear. By God's grace, David experienced the delivering vaccine of faith. For this deadly virus of fear, by God's grace, he experienced the delivering vaccine of faith. Now, how was this applied? How was this vaccine applied? Well, notice this is so wonderful, though the healing properties are from the Lord in his grace. David self-administers the grace of God. The answer is from God. The healing is from God. But David self-administers. Notice what he does. First of all, David encouraged himself in worship. He encouraged himself in worship. To me, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, is one of the most remarkable verses in the Bible. How wonderful. David sits in the ruin of Ziklag. He's lost everything. He's lost his family. And now his friends are talking about stoning him. That's a terrible, horrible, very bad day. But notice what David does. Verse 6. It says, David strengthened himself. Notice that. David strengthened himself. In the Lord his God. What does that mean? Here's what it means. David changed his focus. His focus was no longer about himself. His focus was no longer about the circumstances around his life. His focus was lifted up to God. He did not focus on what he had lost. He focused on what he could not lose. The change of focus changed everything. He stopped focusing on what he had lost. And he started focusing on what he could not lose. The Amalekites had stolen his home, yes. They had stolen his possessions, yes. They had stolen his fortune, yes. They had stolen his family, yes, but they could not steal his God. They could not take away the relationship he had with his God. Now, friends, that does not mean that David went into denial. This is not denial. David did not go into denial. He went into reality. The ultimate reality is God. And when you go to God, you're not going into denial no matter what the world says. When you go to God in the midst of terrible trial and tribulation, in the midst of pandemic, when you go into God, you're not going into denial. You're going into reality, my friend. And that's where David went. 
He went back to reality. He went back to his God, his God's unchanging love, his God's unchanging power. He remembered that God was still with him. We're told the story how during the bombing of London in World War II, when so many neighborhoods had been devastated and people's minds and spirits were so affected by the relentless bombing from the Nazis, somebody took a piece of chalk and wrote over the rubble, God is nowhere. God is nowhere. Well, a believer in the Lord saw what had been written and examined it and decided to use the same letters but change the message. So he marked through, God is nowhere and he used the same letters to write, God is now here. God is now here. My friend, don't you believe for a minute that God is not with us. He is here. He said, I'd never leave you. I will never forsake you. God has not abandoned his people. He's here. God is now here. And David encouraged himself through the worship of God. He focused on his God. And then David did something else in this healing, this healing process. He encouraged himself in the worship of God. And then notice he enlightened himself with the word of God. He enlightened himself with the word of God. Look at verses 7 and 8, would you, of chapter 30. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. Now, we don't have time to go into the historical analysis of this, but let me just say in passing, the ephod, as we understand it from other descriptions in the Old Testament, the ephod was a mantelpiece worn by the priest, a mantelpiece. And on the two shoulders were two precious stones. They are referred to as a Urim and the Thummim, believed to mean lights and perfections, lights and perfections. And the Bible tells us that they were used at times to make inquiry of the Lord, to discern his will. We're not entirely clear on how that happened, but David did this. Notice, David asked for the ephod. Why? Because he wanted to inquire of God. He wanted to know God's direction. Friends, this is the first time in 16 months he's done this. Would to God 16 months earlier, before he got the bright idea to go into Gath, he would have inquired of the Lord, but he didn't. 
But God's faithful. And David inquired of the Lord, should I do this? And God gave him an answer. Now, my friends, listen carefully. In that day, they used the ephod of God to inquire of the Lord. Today, we don't have the ephod. We don't need the ephod because we have the word of God. We have this eternal word of the living God forever settled in heaven, which will guide us in the way of righteousness. This is the revealed mind of the Lord. And we can go to the word of God and not only find encouragement, but enlightenment in our times when we are afraid. Psalm 19, verse 7. I love this passage. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Friends, I know I have felt this way and no doubt you have felt this way at times. So discouraged that you feel too discouraged to pray. You feel too discouraged to read the Bible. And you, you can almost make an excuse saying my heart wouldn't be in it. I'm too discouraged to pray. I'm too discouraged to read my Bible. God knows my heart wouldn't be in it. That's exactly the point and the purpose of the word of God. We need to do what Dr. David Jeremiah says. We need to do some spiritual force feeding. When we don't feel like reading the Bible, that's when we need to read it the most. When we don't feel like praying, we need to pray because that's where the Lord will meet us as we turn to him. And we'll overcome the word of God by the Spirit of God, will overcome the virus of fear. But friends, notice this as I close. Overcoming the virus of fear means and requires more than reading the Word of God. It requires more than just studying the Word of God. It also requires, listen carefully, doing the Word of God. Doing the word of God. And here's what David did. He encouraged himself in the worship of God. He enlightened himself through the word of God. And then David engaged himself in the work of God. He engaged himself in the work of God. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 30 verses 9 and 10. David worshipped. He went to the word of God. God gave him instructions and then he obeyed those destruction, those instructions. My friend, listen to me. Listen carefully. You cannot read yourself out of the virus of fear. You cannot read yourself out of the virus of fear. You cannot, listen carefully, pray yourself out of the virus of fear. Now listen carefully. We must read the word of God and we must pray to the Lord our God, but we must also combine with prayer and with the word. We must also agree 
in the work of the Lord. We must obey. We must work out what the Lord works into our heart. I remember years ago, there was a woman who asked to counsel with me. And I told her that I would. And she was suffering under such a spirit of discouragement and a spirit of fear. Living constantly overwhelmed with discouragement and fear. But she never missed a service here at the church. She read her Bible every day. She prayed every day. And she told me that she journaled every day. And so finally, after I'd met with her a time or two, I said, could you bring one of your journals in? And she did. And I read her journal. And after I read her journal, it had discouraged me. I was depressed by reading her journal because she had turned her worship time. She turned, turned her time in prayer into all about her, her problems, her needs. And so the next time she met with me, I said, I have homework assignment for you. She said, what's that? I said, I can't meet with you again until you go down to the Knoxville Rescue Mission and serve at least four hours a week. I can't meet with you again. Why? I said, my dear friend, it's because you're so absorbed with your problems that you need to go see some folks and serve some folks who have some real problems. Well, as I recall, that was the last session I had with her. How are you going to deal with your fear, my friend? How are you going to deal with your discouragement? A bottle of pills? A bottle of scotch? A six-pack or six scoops, TV remote, and a bag of chips, that'll really work. Oh, no, my friend. God's spiritual health plan has a key component. And that key component is, yes, read the Bible. Pray and worship God. Reading the Bible, praying, attending church regularly. You say, I'm going to attend church regularly. And I, I think that's awesome. We have several hundred seats for you when we're able to meet again. But all of these that are so critically important, attending church, praying, reading the word of God, will not in themselves overcome the virus of fear unless you work out a plan which is a plan to work. A plan to implement what you are learning from God. Because my friend, it is not the hearer of the word of God that is blessed. It is the doer of the word of God who is blessed. David did the word of God. He obeyed and his spirit was revived and he was set free and he went from the virus of fear to a victory of faith. My dear friend, currently across the nation, we hear the cry, we've got to get the nation back to work. That is absolutely important. And we pray for our leaders, for wisdom, and how the economy should be opened back up. Yes, the nation 
needs to get back to work. But can I remind you of your real citizenship? That your real citizenship is in heaven? You are a citizen of the king and of the kingdom of God. And we are never out of work. There's always plenty of work to do for the people of God. There's plenty to do, so many opportunities. And as we do good things, as we go about doing good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith, we bless ourselves. We overcome the virus of fear as we pour ourselves into the lives of others. Just yesterday, I pulled up in the church parking lot and a couple pulled up next to me Rolled down the window and they said, oh, Pastor Sam, we forgot it was Saturday. We went out and we've been grocery shopping. We've got a few things for Project Jerusalem we've heard about. Feeding the needy in our neighborhood. And I wonder, could, is there anyone could let us in? I, I thought, well, I think I still have a key to the church. And so, yes, I opened up our gymnasium. But you know what? Those folks opened up the back of their car and it wasn't just a bag or two. The entire back of their car was filled with groceries. And they brought them in and they were rejoicing when they looked at our gym filled with food for making boxes to deliver to our neighbors. And those people pulled away out of this parking lot rejoicing. I mean rejoicing in the Lord. My friends, it is believers who are engaged in the work of the Lord who experience the joy of the Lord. Those who are engaged in the work of the Lord experience the joy of the Lord. And right now in the midst of this pandemic, let's take a moment for self-examination. Would you take just a moment for a personal, spiritual health evaluation? Are you exhibiting the symptoms of the virus of fear? Thinking in the dark. Walking in the dark. Sitting in the dark. Are you experiencing those symptoms? Well, my friend, will you follow the vaccination guidelines of faith? Will you follow the vaccination guidelines of faith? Will you engage yourself in worship? God is still the same. He is still God. He is still here. He still loves you. Nothing has changed that's going to last for eternity. Engage yourself in the changeless love and mercy of God. Enlighten yourself in the timeless word of God. Be guided not by circumstances, but by the timeless words of scripture. And thirdly, engage yourself in the work of the Lord. Look outside in your neighborhood. Think of somehow, some way you could be a blessing to your neighbors. Write some notes. Call people who are sick. Think of ways that you could help. Go grocery shopping and bring bags of goods for people in need. Contribute to those in need of financial help. Be a witness. And you will find that the God of victories will give you the victory in your virus of faith.
but we need the Lord Jesus. We need him. And I want you now as we close, just, let's just admit our need of Jesus. Let's admit our need. Jesus, I need thee every hour. I need thee. Lord, I pray even as we come now, we need you, Lord Jesus Christ. You are the Corona Victus. You wear the victor's crown. Lord, we thank you that we do not have to work for victory, but from victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, we need you, and I pray that we will call upon you in faith. Hear our prayer as we sing our prayer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name.